0: All righty. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. We will be starting Jonah, but we're going to do two things uh, today. And um, my job this morning is twofold. The, the first thing I need to do is be a good leadoff hitter in, in baseball and kind of set the stage for everyone else that comes after me. Um, And so firstly, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the book of Jonah as a whole That's what we're going to do Um, I'm going to introduce you as best as I possibly can to the book And then finally, we are going to look at the first three verses of Jonah chapter one So if you'd like, you can take notes in the following ways The The first thing you can do is just head your paper introduction to Jonah So introduction to Jonah And then we are going to cover six elements of Jonah, just to set the stage. Again, this is laying a foundation before we even start preaching the text so that you understand what's going on. So introduction to Jonah, and then we are going to cover, and and I'll explain these as we go, number one, the title, number two, the date, number three, the historical setting, Number four, the genre of Jonah and how to interpret it rightly. Fifthly, uh, an outline. And sixth, the theme. All right, so those six ways we are going to use to introduce the book as a whole of Jonah. And then from there, we're going to use that theme to launch us into the first three verses of the first chapter. All right, so you with me? Here we go. So introduction to Jonah. Jonah. Number one, title, title. We get the title of the book Jonah from the very first verse, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So we get the title of the book of Jonah because Jonah is a prophet that God has spoken to. Uh, Most likely the author is Jonah, although the author is not known. Most people think it's, it's either written by Jonah or it was recounted by Jonah. Jonah is the chief, uh, dare I say, he's the chief narrator of, of this story, and maybe somebody else wrote it, but it's Jonah's story uh, throughout. If you want a phrase to kind of unpack who Jonah is, Jonah is the reluctant prophet. He is the reluctant prophet. He does not want to do what God wants him to do. That is who he is. He is a reluctant prophet, and you will hear in much greater detail as we unpack this book as, as the other men come after me. So title, Jonah from son of Amittai, Jonah the son of Amittai. The date. So secondly, the date. Uh, according to 2 Kings, chapters of, uh, chapter 14, verses 23 through 28, Jonah prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of Jeroboam 2. So there's a Jeroboam 1, and we're going to learn who that dude is, and then we're going to learn about Jeroboam 2. So he, he prophesied during the reign of that individual, which is uh, 782. Now, remember, we count backwards, so 782 to 753 B.C., Okay, so uh, early 8th century B.C. Uh, is, is about as early as the book could have been written, the 8th century B.C. So somewhere in there between 782 and 753, that is when Jonah prophesied, and there was great turmoil happening that time. So title, Jonah, date, somewhere in there in the early 8th century B.C., before Christ is even— uh, has even incarnated, has come to earth, uh, has been born. So we're we're before the era of of Christ. Historical setting. And and for this, I need to kind of unpack from creation to where we are, because this is very important. So in the beginning, God created. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day, day five, day six, creates Adam, okay? And then you get... In Genesis chapter two, a command to Adam, then you have uh, good old Adam falling asleep, God taking a rib uh, and, and ha huh, at last, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called Esha, for she was taken out of E, she is happy uh, they are naked and without shame, and then all of a sudden it all goes downhill in chapter three, as the fall of man comes. then you have the flood of Noah you, you Fast forward again, and you have the Tower of Babel, and right after that comes God's covenant with Abraham. God is choosing a specific man and a specific people to bestow blessing upon them. You see the covenant blessing go through Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. You see it then, as it were, protected by Joseph in Egypt, but then it goes to Judah. And so you have these twin realities because they are now in Egypt, and that sets the stage for Moses. And Moses comes, and he gives the law of God, the covenant, uh, the covenant law of God. This is how you are to act, O people of God. It is then reiterated in Deuteronomy. The entire book of Deuteronomy sets that stage. Moses leaves the stage. Joshua steps up, takes them into the land. And they destroy a whole bunch of stuff and they take the land. Joshua dies and then you enter into the time of Judges where the, the end of the book of Judges says everyone did what was right in their own eyes and there was no king in Israel. And so in 1 Samuel, the people come to Samuel and say, give us a king like all the other nations so our king can go and fight our battles for us. And so God gives them Saul. And so here's Saul standing taller, a foot taller, a head taller than every other person, okay? It's like he's, where did Mr. Gib go? It's like Mr. Gib in Korea, just a foot, almost a, a whole lot taller than every other person. That's, that's King Saul. Saul fails. He's horrible. So God then sets up a man after God's own heart king david you have the 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 golden age of israel under king david it is awesome king david has a son named solomon solomon expands the the territories he builds the temple everything is awesome and then solomon leaves the stage and he has a son named rehoboam and rehoboam takes the advice of evil counselors And ends up splitting the nation. So under Saul, David, and Solomon, you had a united Israel. Under Rehoboam and then Jeroboam 1, the first one, you have the division of Israel into two parts. The northern kingdom, which is called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. And so you would have kings reigning at that time, and then God introduced in a special way the office of prophet to come and speak mainly to the kings of judah and the kings of israel and sometimes they would prophesy against foreign nations okay so you see that happen as well but mainly the office of prophet was to come to these kings and say rule righteously stop sinning stop causing israel to sin Come back to the Lord. Come back to the Lord. Leave your sinful ways. Come back. Come back. Lead righteously. And so within that kind of distinct period of northern Israel and southern Judah, up pops Jonah. And Jonah, what's what's fascinating about this is during Jonah's time, the northern kingdom had experienced great peace and prosperity. They were experiencing great wealth. The the borders had expanded. Jeroboam, too, had expanded the borders back to Davidic, Solomonic levels. It was amazing, and it was mainly because of the weakness of the main empire to the north, and that was Assyria. Okay, so you have the expansion there. And so Jonah has kind of a firsthand witness of of what God is doing in, in mercifully allowing God to bless, to show compassion, to show mercy, to show love to Israel, even though they are wayward. Because also in Jonah's time, in Israel, all that wealth, all that peace made Israel bankrupt spiritually, morally ethically. So you, you see kind of a twin reality. They are expanding the borders. They are growing great wealth. They are, they are living in the lap of luxury, but at the same time, they are drifting. They are dying. And the most important thing, spiritual life, morality, and ethics, because those two other things flow from your view of God. So this led to God eventually because of this reality of of Israel in their decadence looking out at God and saying, "Nah. Nah. We don't need you." God ends up judging Israel by the Assyrians in 722 BC. So that happens after Jonah's time. Okay? So that kind of gives you a historical setting of what is going on. Now, Prior to that, so prior to 722 BC, God sends Jonah to Assyria, to Nineveh, and uh, it's just an amazing thing. Assyria was infamous for its cruelty. They were a horrific empire. You did not mess with Assyria. They were evil in the way that they conducted warfare. They were evil in how cruel they were to those that they defeated. It was a nemesis over history to both Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Okay, so this is not uh, this is not like Nebraska versus Iowa, okay, where it's kind of a, a friendly sort of rivalry. This is war. We hate them. We hate them. And then may I also say, so Nineveh is the largest city at that time in the ancient world, and that's where Jonah is sent, to Nineveh, the largest city. So before we go on, this is just amazing, and I I just want to do a little preaching here while I'm I'm doing some teaching. Um, I just want you to note how God sovereignly works in history through something called providence. Just just listen to this. Before uh, Jonah went to Assyria, there were, and I count, famines, multiple famines. There were revolts within the Assyrian Empire. There were two massive plagues, and there was a solar eclipse. And mind you, they didn't have things like the weather channel. Okay, where, where we can tell, okay, the next big solar eclipse is going to be at this exact time, on this exact date, in this exact year. So uh, don't look at this anachronistically and say, well, duh, solar eclipses just happen. Duh. No to them, they don't they don't see it that way. They don't see it like we did in 2017 where some of you might still remember, we got in the bus, we went down to Giltner, we went to the uh, Christian Resource Center, we all looked up there, we all went, woo, ah, or some of you went out into the football field, we, we made shirts for it, some of you might have bought the shirts, the total eclipse of the heart in Nebraska and all of that stuff. No, they were not expecting that and all of that was God's way of just kind of tilling the soil Getting them ready. Famines, plagues, eclipse. Where's your heart? Where's your heart, Assyria? I'm messing with you. And then while I'm messing with you, here comes the prophet Jonah. And so this is how Jonah, or this is how God woke up a people. He brought famine. He brought plagues. He brought eclipses. And you will see that Jonah's message is not what we typically expect a message to be today. It's eight words. There's nothing about the love of God in it. And so that's a later chapel. I will not steal that thunder. Last thing you need to understand about the historical setting. We're still in a historical setting. I just need to set this. The people of Israel had a distaste for Assyria. You need to know that. Israel hated Assyria. Okay, legitimate hatred. So there's hatred of Assyria, and at the same time, note this as well, there was a pride over their spiritual uh, love from God. they, They... They saw themselves as superior to the rest of the world because God had bestowed upon them the law, the covenant, and all of that. They are the special people of God. And instead of being humbled by that, that a God so holy and so righteous and so just could look upon them, sinful as they are, and love them despite it, instead what they did is they puffed up their chest in pride. Look at how great we are. And that's why at the end of our time today, you're going to see Jonah run as far away from God's command to go to Nineveh. Because the gospel, the the message of mercy is not for them. They don't get mercy. We get mercy. They don't get it. And so here's the thing. And this is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. You are going to watch in this book as a pagan city repents at the preaching of eight words by a stranger. The entire city repents, but Israel will not repent, though God sends prophet after prophet after prophet to her. They will not repent. But this pagan city, they'll repent. The sailors, they'll repent. Israel? Nah. No need of repentance. God loves us anyway. So, Jonah is a great story of the mercy and grace of God to the nations, and it also served as judgment to Israel. Okay, fourth. (laughs) So, first the title. Second, the date. Third, the historical setting. I guess the main points I want you to get is in the historical setting, um, Israel and Assyria hated each other, and Israel was super prideful, super prideful. Fourth, the genre and interpretation of the book. This is, this is vital. So, so tune back in. Tune back in. There's four different ways that you can see this, and therefore four different ways that you can interpret it, Three of them, please hear me, three of them are wrong. Okay? Four different ways, three are wrong. I want to bring them up to you so that you have a good argument for when somebody says, oh, it's just this. Okay, so we're not going to skip the wrong ones. I want you to be able to have an argument for why you don't believe it's this. So, first one, this is wrong. 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 Allegory. Allegory. You can interpret it Or see it as as through the genre of allegory. And here's what an allegory is. It is a symbolic, fictional narrative. Wherein Jonah is the symbol of Israel. It is a fictional. Meaning, not true. True. We must roundly say, no. Wrong. It is not an allegory. The second way that you could see this in genre and then interpret it is, is an old Jewish term called midrash. Midrash. M-I-D-R-A-S-H. Like you have a rash in your midsection. A mid-rash. What it really means is it's a commentary. It's a commentary on God's mercy, but it's not real history. This didn't really happen. It's just, it's just, it's just a nice little story. It's not really real. Wrong. It's a parable. That's the third way. It's a parable. You know, Jesus spoke in parables. Jonah's a parable. Yay. Wrong. What's a parable? A parable is a brief, fictitious story that shows moral or religious truths. And so the moral of this story is don't be a ninny like Jonah. Don't be a ninny like Jonah, but wrong! You don't interpret it as parable. It's wrong. Okay? It it reminds me of Um, that idea of, uh, oh, never mind, we gotta keep going. Um, So let's just clear this up real quick. Turn in your Bibles, before we even get to Jonah, turn in your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew. Mr. Zanger, we're supposed to be in Jonah, that's in the Old Testament. Matthew, let scripture interpret scripture. Matthew, chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12. Let's just clear this thing up for us. It's not allegory. It is not Midrash, and it is certainly not a parable. Why do I say that? Matthew 12. To set the stage in the context for this, you have the Pharisees and the scribes arguing with Jesus. Previously to that verse, he, he says something just unbelievable. You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You brood of vipers. That's what he's telling them. And then in verse 38, the scribes and the Pharisees then answer back. "Uh Uh-oh. Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Look at what Jesus says. But he, Jesus, answered them, an evil and adulterous generation. You will know them by their fruit. An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Period. Four. just as, I'm not going to read the rest, just as, then scan, find the comma, Just as, comma, so. Because the first part of this clause is true, so then the second part is. Now let's look. So then, sorry, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Look at the parallelism. Just as Jonah parallels, so will the son of man. Just as Jonah, son of man. Three days, three days, three nights, three nights, belly of the great fish, heart of the earth. Parallel, parallel, parallel. Parallel, parallel. Keep looking. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment of, sorry, with this generation and condemn it. For they, the Ninevites, repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. In essence, what, what, What else you get out of Jonah is that Jonah is also judgment against the scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' own generation because the men of Nineveh, they repented. You guys, you have the Son of God. Nah. Crucify Him. Jesus Christ taught that the story of Jonah was real history. It, it is an account firmly rooted in history. And those of you in my freshman class, that is not a faulty appeal to authority. What greater authority do you have than Jesus Christ himself? So therefore, the fourth genre and the right way to interpret it is the following, historical slash prophetic narrative historical slash prophetic narrative that's how you interpret it that's the genre it is history and it is a narrative it is a story and it's prophetic because it's jonah so it's historical prophetic narrative but 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 he was eaten by a big fish but 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 jesus taught it as history Can God, who created everything, sovereignly keep a man alive in the belly of a big fish for three days? Yeah. Because here's the deal. Jesus Christ is drawing a direct parallel between Jonah being three days and three nights in a big fish and Jesus Christ being dead, being buried, and rising From the grave. If you lose one, you lose the other. This is so vital. It's not allegory. It's not Midrash. And it's certainly not a parable. This is not false. This is true. This was a real man. During real history, going to a real city, in a real empire, and preaching a real eight-word sermon, with them really repenting and God really holding back his judgment upon them. The entire story of Jonah is presented to us as historical fact in the same way as Jesus Christ was really the second person of the Trinity. He really was incarnate. He came to the world as a baby. He grew up. He lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death. He was buried. He rose. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. That is fact. And so therefore, because it is narrative, let me just share one key thing you need to know. How to interpret this. And it's a three-word phrase. No, it's a four-word phrase. Sorry, Narrative is not normative. Narrative is not normative. Narrative, the story, is not normative. It is not normal. Yes, it is absolutely true that Jonah is swallowed by a big fish. It is also true that God pursues the disobedient and the rebellious prophet. However, don't read into that. That every single missionary gets to the field by being swallowed by a big fish. Don't look for your big fish moment. Well, God just didn't swallow me up with the big fish, so I guess I don't go to China. For the love, help you. And then, please don't also see, wow, God was so kind and merciful. To a disobedient, rebellious prophet, let me sin. This is great! No. No. No, 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 no. Narrative is not normative. Just because it's in there doesn't mean that it's normal for us. All right. Fifth, an outline. This comes from uh, John MacArthur. So here's your John MacArthur moment. Um, an outline. Chapter 1, Chapter 2, Chapter 3, Chapter 4. Each one has Jonah blank God's will. Okay? So Chapter 1, Jonah runs from God's will. Jonah runs from God's will. Chapter 2. Jonah submits to God's will. So Chapter 1, Jonah runs from God's will. Chapter 2, Jonah submits to God's will. Chapter 3, Jonah fulfills God's will. And Chapter 4, Jonah questions God's will. So, chapter one, Jonah runs from God's will. Chapter two, Jonah submits to God's will. Chapter three, Jonah fulfills God's will. And chapter four, Jonah questions God's will. That's your outline. Finally, the theme. Then <laughs> we'll get into the passage. Here's the theme God's love and mercy extends to them. You know, us, we the us. We are happy with our us. We love our uses. We love our usness. I got my people around me. This is my us. Guess what? God's mercy and his love extends to them. Yep. God's love and mercy extends even to them. Israel is going to be humbled by the fact that they do not have a monopoly on God's redemptive love. It extends to them, the Assyrians. You could also write it this way. God's compassion is not just for us, but for them. His compassion is for us in this room who know Christ. Oh, what compassion, but it's also for them the lost and dying world that we need to go and get with the gospel. It's for them. Jonah is an object of compassion. You are going to see this throughout the book. But pagan sailors and pagan Ninevites are also beneficiaries of this compassion. And so the theme asks us a question. This is going to be something you talk about in your e-groups. Here's the question that it asks. Is my heart like the heart of God? Do I have compassion just for us or is there compassion for them? Is my heart like the heart of God? That's Jonah in 30 minutes. Now we have three verses to cover. So if you will, turn in your Bibles, if you're not already there, to Jonah. Jonah is a minor prophet. It's after the three biggies, okay, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Ezekiel, then you get to Daniel, Hosea, and then you keep going, and you get to Amos and Obadiah, and then after Obadiah comes wonderful four chapter Jonah. I forgot Joel in there. Say it, Joel. And as always, as is custom when I'm preaching, if you will, please stand for the word of the Lord. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just simply ask God that you would, in in our short time remaining, that you would drive home the points of this passage. Keep me faithful to the text, and Lord God, I pray that your spirit would work through your word to work as a scalpel against our hearts. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so the theme now of the sermon. Okay, so that, all, that was, all that was like the porch. Now we're in the house and we're getting, getting after it. The title of the servant is The Reluctant Prophet Disobeys God. The Reluctant Prophet Disobeys God. And we're going to look at it in two parts. We're going to look at the first two verses together and that is the commission of God. God commissions Jonah to a task. And then you are going to see in verse 3 the second part, and that is Jonah's response to God. So the commission by God, and then part 2 is the response of Jonah. So look with me at verses 1 and 2. It starts this way. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. So God is speaking directly to Jonah here. Jonah is a prophet in the clearest definition of the word. God is revealing something special to Jonah. This is a divine message. And oh, by the way, uh, those of you who watched VeggieTales earlier, try to th- erase your mind of that. Jonah was a prophet. Ooh, ooh. Okay, stop it. Read the word. Let the word get you. Okay? Because, Yeah. All right, we then, uh, d- d- sorry, I'm all lost. Okay, we, we also then see some information about Jonah. Jonah is the son of Amittai. Jonah means dove. Uh, Amittai means faithful. And so at the outset, here's kind of a definition of Jonah. Jonah is a dove who is the object of God's faithful love. He is the object of God's faithful love. And nothing is going to change that nothing. In fact, what you are going to see throughout the book, you have multiple lines of of mercy here, but what you're going to see throughout the book is one singular thread throughout it, and it is God's relentless, dare I say ferocious love for Jonah. Jonah. He never stops loving Jonah, even in the belly of the fish and even at the end of the book. God is for Jonah, and he moves sovereignly through different means to get Jonah back exactly where God wants him to be. And here's what's so amazing about all of this. Let's apply it to us today. If you are in Christ, if you know Christ as Savior, God's love is for you. Because you are in Christ. The love of God, the Father for his Son, is infinite. And by repentance and trust in Christ, you have, as it says in Galatians, you have put on Christ. And so therefore, God loves you with an everlasting love, Christian, in here. And in the same way that God is ferociously chasing after Jonah, God will also ferociously, chase after you look at verse two god speaks these are the words of god arise go to nineveh that great city this is the commission of of, of jonah jonah go go arise go and go to nineveh that great city nineveh is northeast of israel Okay, it's northeast, so it's that way if you're looking at me this way. So northeast of of Israel, great. It's a great city. You're going to see great throughout the book of Jonah. It's it's in there 14 different times. In this context, it means important. It's an important city. It exercised incredible influence, and it was great because it was big. It was a big old city. And then this is also the only case in the Old Testament of a prophet being sent to a nation. Lots of them just preached against nations. Jonah gets a one-way ticket to go preach there. Keeps going. And call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. That word evil, you're going to see that nine different times in Jonah. Also, um, it's also translated disaster, evil, disaster. Here's why. They, the Ninevites, they worshiped false deities. And as we previously talked about, they were cruel. They were evil people. And so in short, this is exactly what he's saying. The Ninevites were evil, and they're in line for Disaster. Disaster's coming upon them. Go and preach to that city. So, to f- paraphrase the first two verses, Jonah, object of my faithful love, go northeast, young man, and go to Nineveh and call out against that important but evil city, for disaster is coming upon them. And then let's switch and look at verse 3 and look at the response of Jonah. And it starts with an, it's, <laughs> it's a bad word, <laughs> given the context. Verse three, but. Verse two, go, Jonah. Verse three, but Jonah. Not, and Jonah went. But instead, but Jonah. I've had the privilege of preaching uh, Ephesians chapter 2 in in chapel uh, where Paul just starts with horrific news. You're dead in trespasses and sins. You follow this world. You follow Satan. You're a son of disobedience. You carry out the desires of the body and the mind. You are by nature children of wrath. Hallelujah. Praise God. But God. But God. And in that context, what? What wonderful news. God made us alive. By grace, you are saved through faith. Yes. But Jonah, no. And let's see what happens. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. All of our worst fears are confirmed. Let's look at it in more detail. We're going to contrast verses 1 and 2 against verse 3 and see how Jonah disobeys God. In verse 2, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Nineveh, in the northeast. Verse 3, Jonah flees to Tarshish. He found a ship going to Tarshish to go with them to Tarshish, three different times. Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. Repetition is key. God is, in Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy. And Jonah is not going to Nineveh. He's going to Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. Where's Tarshish? Well, it's either a town in Spain or it means the distant Mediterranean coastlands, whatever that means. So, which direction is Tarshish? It's not north and it's certainly not east. Tarshish is west. Way west. It would be like us sending Mr. James to Minneapolis with the juniors. Go to Minneapolis, Mr. James. And then we call him, and he is in San Diego. Kind of missed the stop somewhere. I will not go to Nineveh. I will not preach. I will not, I will not, I will not This message is not for them. He is like a petulant child stomping his feet. I will not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam, I am. That's Jonah. And so I will not eat them. I will not preach. I will not go. No. Verse 2. Arise. Verse 3. Ooh. He rose. Yes, he's doing it. Oh, no. But keep reading. Verse 3, it keeps going. It says, he went down to Joppa. The Hebrew word there means descended. The Hebrew word also is a euphemism for death. So in verse 3, twice, you see this. He descended, he went down, he descended to Joppa. He paid a fare to get on a ship, and he went down, descended into the ship. Twice. Twice. Instead of Jonah arising and going to Nineveh, he descends and goes first to Joppa, and then he descends and goes into the ship. Please see this. Please see this, students. Every step of disobedience is one step closer to descending into death. Every step. Every sin you commit, and sin is so tricky because it seems so good, but to... But to quote from Dustin Rogers, he's so quotable, sin is poison. I don't care what it's wrapped in. It is poison and it will kill you. We see it here in Jonah as he descends. And you know in this room the effects of sin in your life guilt, shame, condemnation, sorrow, pain among 50 billion other emotions that you have and sorrows that you have from diving into sin. And, And also, please see this. We can stick a bony finger at Jonah. Look at what you did wrong. I wouldn't have done that. We can look at our lost, sinful, rebellious culture and say, a pox on your house. And we can look at those who condone the murder of innocent babies in the womb and say, in our self-righteousness, down with the sinners, down with them, get them away, let's just kill them. But what the Bible does is it takes the scalpel of the Spirit, and it shows us how wrong we are. When you disobey God at the core, you believe that God is not going to give you the best. That is sin. Please see this. When you do not trust God and go your own way, you are sinning against the tri-holy God. Oh, may we be those, especially in this year, may we be those who confess and forsake our sin. Finally, let's look at one more failure of Jonah. In verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah signifying the presence of God. It's there. God is there. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to go with you in a special way. And in verse 3, twice, you're going to see he is running to Tarshish to flee the presence of the Lord. Here is a disobedient, rebellious, evil, prophet. Go to Nineveh, that great city. Nah. I'm going to go to Tarshish instead. Arise. Nah. I'm going to descend instead. Hear and obey my word. Walk with me. Nah. I'm going to flee your presence. Oh, Jonah. Oh, Christians. Do we not know what Psalm 139 says? Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, Jonah, even there your right hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Jonah thought that he could run from the presence of God, but the hound of heaven is going to get him. Dear Christian, here's the application for you. Where are you running from God? Where are you hiding from God? Where are you playing hide-and-seek like a two-year-old? Okay? My, my kids have savvied up. But I'll never forget, when I was in Korea, this is going to embarrass Emma so bad next, next period. Let's play hide-and-seek, Daddy. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And there she is in the middle of the, the kitchen with her head down. In her eyes, in her hands. Because if she can't see me, I can't see her. That's like playing hide and go seek with a two year old. That's like hiding from God. God can't see me, or I can't see God, so he must not see me. Don't be that way. God is God. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to flee him? Up high? he's there. Down low, he's there. Seas, he's there. Mountains, he's there. Everywhere you go, he's there. Oh, students, in your disobedient sinfulness, the answer is not to run away from God, but to run to him. Remind yourself of the cross. Remind yourself of the precious blood of Christ. Remind yourself of the lamb who was slain. Remind yourself of Christ being forsaken by the father so that you could be adopted as a son or a daughter. Remind yourself of Christ crying out, it is finished, the debt has been paid, sin has been paid for. And remind yourself that this Christ overcame death, overcame the grave. That's your hope in this life. And that's your hope in your death. I'm gonna read the first two stanzas in chorus to Christ our hope in life and death. This is a new song. I cannot recommend it enough. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to him belong who holds our days within his hand, what comes apart from his command and what will keep us to the end, the love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Praise God. Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. So we're done. You have a disobedient prophet. Go to Nineveh, nah, Tarshish. Arise, nah, descend. Be in my presence, nah, I'm going to flee. But if I may, I'm going to steal from Mr. Falk just real quickly. I want to leave you with a cliffhanger. So you all come back next week and you're ready. I want to leave you with the first three words of the next paragraph. Because in verse 3 you have but Jonah, but the next verse begins with but the Lord. And in those three words, you are going to find hope. Because I want you to remember who Jonah was. He is the dove who is the object of God's faithful love. And so what you are going to see throughout this time together as we unpack this book is God eagerly pursues Jonah while also drawing others into a right relationship with him. I'm excited for this. I hope you are as well. This is going to be great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for your relentless love, your ferocious love, your jealous love that will not let something come between us and you. Father, I pray, may you make our hearts more like you. May you cause us to stop running. Would you cause us to stop hiding? And would you cause us to flee back to you, run back to the cross, remind ourselves of the gospel, and to trust in you. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Are we doing...